Welcome into the Locked On Knicks podcast, Gavin Shaw, Alex Wilson. Today joined by a special guest. It's Dallas Amico of the Strickland. You might remember Dallas was on over the summer, really talking up Emmanuel quickly. It's kind of come to fruition. Dallas explains the keys to Emmanuel quickly's success and why an all-star berth might just be in his future. You are Locked On Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes right now. Starts without a five. Ewing for the win. Yes. Up and tucks left. Now fires it. He's good. And he's fouled. And he's out. Anthony for three. Locked On Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. And I want to thank you for making Locked On Knicks your first listen today. And every day we're now available on all platforms, and that includes on YouTube. So if you haven't already, uh, subscribe. It's just, just a click of a button. It's, it's super easy. Um, and hit that notifications bell so you never, ever miss an episode. But hey, who's talking to you? I'm Gavin Shell, your favorite play-by-play broadcaster's favorite play-by-play broadcaster. Someone in the comments, Alex, complain that, that, uh, that you say that, that I keep saying that. And I, I just it just makes me want to double down. So we'll trying to destroy my favorite you know, I know. nickname creation. It you was know? really it was one of the nicest things any anyone's ever said to me. So um, <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna keep putting it out in the universe. Um, and he's Alex Wolf, of course, editor in chief of the Strickland, the greatest things website in the whole wide world. And we are joined by a writer um, and and a podcaster and someone who does a film breakdown for the Strickland, and that is Dallas Amico, who uh, does not come on this podcast a whole lot because he's a very busy guy, but. Is very generous with his time when he does come on the podcast. So this is the first of three parts. And in this part, we begin exploring Emmanuel quickly and how everything's come together for him, right? Because in the past, like it felt like he was good in one area and then he found another area, but then he lost the first area that he was really great at. And now it seems like everything is clicking all at once. And Dallas is a basketball genius. So a borderline basketball robot, I'll say. So I couldn't imagine anyone else to come on and break it down. And it all starts right now on Locked on Knicks. All right, as promised, we are joined by Dallas Amico of the Strickland. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter um, at, uh, I'm reading it now, Dallas Amico underscore, um, the basketball robot. Uh, Dallas, welcome back to the show. Last time you were here, you were making the case for Emmanuel Quickly as the Knicks' best young prospect. So we decided to wait until that take looked incredibly good. <laughs> to have you back on as you were just telling us pre-show you got some some negativity in the comments which i i stood with you on that island i've retracted that take and then gone back to it since but at the time i stood with you on that island there was some some negative commentary thrown our way but now we're both feeling pretty good and alex is left in the cold as someone who i think had a manual quickly second which was probably the most reasonable version of that of that take at the time. But uh, what I want to know is, is, is quickly as the guy we've seen kind of develop in fits and spurts, right? When, when the shooting was there initially, then the playmaking was there, but the shooting was sort of gone. Then all of a sudden, oh, wow, he can get to the rim now. But hey, he's still not, he's not really making threes. Why can't he sh- make catch and shoots? And all of a sudden, everything has come together. Is that just, is that just time? How, how has that happened, Dallas? Yeah. I mean, I think it's really just time. Um, if you go back and uh, listen, uh, to the to that last po- that last podcast that I was on, the, the things I was talking about back then um, that he had that tool set 
the the sort of things we were talking about or that I was talking about was like um, off the dribble shooting, um, clear advantage creation, um, where he just creates separation. Always back then, because um, this was last summer, right? The sort of things you could see with him is he would create separation off the dribble, but usually behind the three point line. That's where he was creating a lot of separation. You could tell he had shooting touch. Um, you saw it on the floaters. You saw it um, behind the three-point line, and you saw it at the free throw line. Those are like the three places you see, you know, elite shooting touch. So I knew he had the elite shooting touch. You could see that he could create separation at a pretty, you know, he's not like blowing by guys like Russell Westbrook, but he's shifty. He has some like some trickery in his bag, um, some you know some hesitation stuff. He has a bunch of a bunch of ways of getting guys off balance. Um, and you combine those things, uh, with a guy who has a little bit of a raw handle, um, and you can just sort of really easily see that as that handle is going to start improving, um, as that three point shot is going to start, stop, start dropping, he's going to start being able to draw defenders out and he's going to be able to start you do using that advantage creation he can do behind the three point line inside the inside the three-point line so on that show i was like there's no doubt at all uh in my mind and last summer and the year before i was saying this too that you just expect just give him a couple years he's going to be elite at the rim you should expect him to do that and lots of people question that or were, were not sure about it um and i understood why but with a guy with that kind of touch and that kind of ability to separate from guys the fact of the matter is you just have to expect he's going to get to the rim because he can separate from guys eventually he's going to have to figure out how to Put it together inside the three-point line. And then once he gets there, he's got the touch. So, like, why are you going to doubt him to be able to make, to make those shots, right? Like, we know he's going to um, uh, be able to make them once he gets there eventually. But the thing is, when you're adding – I mean, that's a lot of things going on, right? right. Um, it's, it's not just the three-point shooting. It's not just the handle. It's not just getting to the rim and then reading multiple defenders who are trying to stop you. It's also reading the rest of the floor. It's reading what coverage they're giving you. You know, you're facing – you know, the Raptors or the Heat or the Celtics, and you're switching between drop coverages and switches and blitzes. And, you know, being a ball handler in the NBA is tough. Um, and when you're just developing and stepping into having those skills and you also don't get that many um, uh, on-ball reps, like when we think about IQ's history, you know, him stepping into this is crazy when you think about like, you know, year one, it was Alfred Payton and then Derrick Rose were clearly prioritized over him. Year two, um, Derrick Rose was prioritized over him. Kemba Walker was prioritized over him. Alec Burks was prioritized over him as ball handlers, right? Yeah. Um, and then as a two guard, even Evan Fournier was prioritized over him, right? Um, and so it wasn't like quickly was getting lots of on ball reps, right? He just hasn't really had those opportunities. And you even have these clips of Tibbs talking about him and like calling him like, yeah, he's a good off ball guard. He's a good bench guard. He's good. You know, um, Tibbs sounding a little bit like, um, you know, good in his role kind of, kind of <laughs> Twitter jokes going on the way he talked about him. Right. Um, so it's not like he's had all of these opportunities. Like, look at like a guy like um, Tyrese Halliburton. You know, he had a bunch of on-ball reps in Sacramento, not full control. Then he gets to Indiana Pacers, and it's just straight on-ball reps. Or a guy like John Morant comes into the league same time as quickly, um, and it's just on-ball rep from day one, right? So these guys have just seen it over and over. Quickly has not got those reps. So it's natural that as he starts getting them, you're going to see these fits and spurts. It's being a lead ball handler in the NBA is a complicated thing. Um, 
But he had all those tools, and now we're starting to see those things come together. And really, I mean, I don't, I don't know what the ceiling is for this guy. Um, back then, I was saying I think he could be an all-star. I think he has that in him. Um, you don't see too many guys who have the offensive skill set he has and the offensive ability he has who also are like lockdown defenders. Um, he was on the court with the defensive player of the year with from last year with Jason Tatum last night with Al Horford, who's a great team defender, with Jalen Brown, who I think is a little overrated, but he's still a good defender. Lots of good defenders out there. He was the best defender on the court, hands down, last last night. He was not only the best defender on the court, he was the best offensive player on the court. Like, how many guys can do both of those things at the same time? Yeah. Now, obviously, he's a he's a point guard. Uh, he's a two guard, you know, depending on his uh, the night he's playing with. Um and it's a little harder to impact the game as much on the defensive side from the perimeter. Uh, but he's having significant impact, you know. It's it's kind of crazy. Um, so what is his ceiling? I mean, I, I don't know. I think, like, right now it's he's playing like uh, like a top 75 player. Like, he's playing like a top 75 player this year. I think that's not a crazy thing to think. Um, I All of the advanced metrics um, paint him as a top 75 player. Uh, he's like in the 85th percentile, and that's his worst. Like if you're looking through like Darko and EPM and like these sorts of like uh, box plus minus sort of stuff, all of the advanced stats, the worst ones have him in the 85th percentile, which is a top 75 player. Um, best ones have him closer to top 50, top 40 player um, uh, kind of thing. Uh, so, you know, I, you've got to take those with a grain of salt and like compare them with film and like whatever. But like it's really popping. Everything's coming together. Um, it's crazy. This dude's awesome. We, and, and this is a huge thing. I know, I'm sorry, I'm going on forever, but like the Knicks have, you know, if you look at like contenders of the past, um, uh, it's, it's really difficult to contend if you don't get some homegrown stars or luck into some stars that you can then, that you, they be a guy who becomes a star when he's under team control. Because then you can go over the cap to like max him. It's, it makes it easier to add stars from the outside. You have that salary already. Um, it's really hard to become a contender when you're just bringing in all of the stars from outside. Um, it can happen. There are teams who've done it, but it's hard. Much easier if you already have Devin Booker on your team or if you have Steph Curry and Clay Thompson and Draymond Green who are like, I mean, Steph was a pretty high pick, but still not like number one, but then Draymond and Clay, these guys who become Right. It's much easier when you do that. And now the Knicks have really lucked into when I say lucked into, I, I kind of mean it, except for um, maybe Jalen Brunson is like was the most predictable one. But like really three guys who look like they're stars going to be yeah. stars. Right. Um, Julius Randle. When we signed him, nobody thought he was going to be a star. And then he way outperformed his initial expectations, I think. Although, you know, it, it took a while. <laughs> but uh, that. You know, his second year here, he was awesome. And then he had a really bad year. But now this, nobody saw this coming, right? There's a reason he was not like a, a crazy in demand free agent. There's a reason the Pelicans weren't like, you know, they were fine letting him go. He was good. He was a good, but he's thought of as like a finisher. And like maybe a guy, if he could like put things together, could be like a starter on a good team and like this sort of thing. And he was paid like that. He was paid to be a starter on a good team. Um, but nobody thought, nobody was like, oh yeah, superstar Julius Randle, right? But now like Julius Randle is playing like a legit all NBA guy that we've, you know, got out of nowhere. Um, Emmanuel quickly, 25th pick in the draft, D plus rating. Yeah. People were like, <laughs> oh, terrible, terrible draft pick. This guy's turn. He looks like he's going to be a top 30 player. Um, 
And then you have Jalen Brunson, who like, you know, again, I think people, when, when he came to the Knicks, he probably had higher expectations than either quickly or Randall, right? Like people thought like, Hey, we just saw this guy do it in the playoffs. He looked awesome. Maybe he can step into that. But like, I mean, I think everybody would say he's even, even those who were really high on him have thought probably that he's outperformed expectations. Like he's been, you know, he wasn't paid like he was going to be an all-star, right? But he's an all-star caliber player. Like all-stars get maxes, right? That's just yeah. what all-stars get maxes in this league. And he didn't get a max. He got well under the max. Um, and it seems like that was like his high, his highest offer out there, right? So like him being, uh, the fact that now everybody's talking about him like the biggest all-star snub of the year, possibly all NBA contention. I think that's probably a stretch, but maybe you never know. Like the fact that he's in those conversations. Again, that's three guys now that we've gotten that were unexpected stars, basically. Um, just found money, and the Knicks are, we're just in, we're in a great position. Now, I've, I've gone on forever now. Got off the end real quickly thing, but, whew, I'm just, I'm look, so. Look, look, this is why we, we got to have you on more than every every six months, because a lot of builds up. Yeah, your, your exuberance is overflowing, Dallas. <laughs> All right, we'll be right back with Dallas talking about what has turned Emmanuel quickly into the player that he is today, whether it's. Uh, consistent playing time, the three-point shot falling, or a combo of a number of different things. Uh, we'll get into it more with him in just a sec. But first, I got to remind you guys, today's episode is brought to you by Built Bar. And if you're looking for a delicious treat but don't want all the fat and calories, you got to try a Built Bar. Hopefully, you're still keeping up with your New Year's resolutions like I am. I'm still trying to hit the gym and and keep you know my body in good shape and drop a little bit of weight, watch my caloric intake some, but also get that protein I need to recover from going and lifting weights and stuff. And that's where Built Bars come in. They really make you feel like you're getting away with something. It feels like you're eating a candy bar, and yet you're getting tons of protein and not a ton of the bad stuff. Uh, that's because Built Bars are all covered in 100% real chocolate and come in unbelievable flavors like churro, peanut butter, brownie, and coconut almond, but have great macros, just 130 calories per bar and only 4 grams of sugar, but a whopping 17 grams of protein. And now you don't need to wait around to get a box. For years, we've been talking about ordering your Built Bars at Built.com. Now you can get them at your local Walmart or Sam's Club. That's right. Head to your nearest Walmart today. Walk to the pharmacy section and grab yourself a box of Built Bars. You can pick up a four-bar box of cookies and cream, double chocolate, or coconut puffs. And if you're close to Sam's Club, run in and grab a 13-bar box with Hit Flavors Brownie Batter and Churro. You can thank me later. So let's like... Let's 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 zoom in from the macro into the micro a little bit and start looking at quickly as far as his skill set is concerned. Um, you know, we were talking about this before we started recording, like the my probably lowest moment with quickly this year was when I looked, I don't know, like 20, 25 games in and was like, man, this three point shooting is just not coming together. And it's really kind of crushing the rest of his game right now like I felt like not on the defensive end but on the offensive end you could tell that like the fact that the three-point shot wasn't going in a lot of nights was kind of limiting his potential because of the amount or lack thereof that teams were respecting him at the three-point line and stuff like that like you were starting to see that erode a little bit like whatever goodwill he had he had built up over the last couple of years, you're starting to see teams respect him a little less. He was getting way more wide open looks and he wasn't cashing on them, which then, you know, just kind of led to this cycle where then it, it makes it more difficult for him to then put it on the floor and attack somebody who's closing out on him and stuff like that. And then all of a sudden we see this, this switch that came at around the same time 
that it came for everybody on the Knicks. They shortened the rotation on December 4th. And since then, uh, in 42 games, which is just over a half a season now at this point, Quickly's managed to slash uh, 47% from the field, 38.8% from three on 5.8 attempts, and 80.7% from the line, which weird enough, like over the course of his career, represents sort of a downturn from the line for him. But we'll, we'll give him a pass, still over 80% on one of the teams that has struggled the most shooting free throws, maybe in the entire NBA. Um, but what do you th- what do you view as the the skill moment that really turned the light on for quickly this year? Like something has clearly happened. I think that he's now ascending to a totally different level. But in these last like I don't know three weeks, month, whatever. I mean, we saw glimpses too when he had to start in some spot starts this year. I have some interesting stats in a minute about his uh, his stats and starts this year and how that pertains to another uh, discussion. That we'll have in a second, but you know, he's, uh, I think for me, the turning point was one, he started getting more minutes and more consistency. And as we've seen with him and Obi Toppin in the past, like when they're given a defined role and guaranteed minutes, they can really make something out of it. Um, so that was the one thing that I think helped his confidence. But then for two, all the confidence in the world doesn't necessarily mean the shots are going to go in. The three-pointer started going in, and and to me, that was sort of the turning point for him this year. But I'm curious what you think the, the point was where all the skills just sort of perfectly lined up in like a a nice uh, like equinox to, to turn him into the player that he is now. Yeah, so, I mean, one, one thing I'll say is like we have seen flashes of this, like, um, you know, uh, year – so go all the way back to year one. Um, I'll never forget the Portland Trailblazers game. We, we talked about like, it last night, so that's it's funny that you, you bring it up. Yeah, yeah. This like you have this rookie, right? Where the Portland Trailblazers are, they're uh, you know like getting destroyed by quickly so much so that they changed their defensive scheme to target him and force the ball out of his hands, and they were trapping him at half court, you know, um, and like giving him like Steph Curry treatment. Uh, in order to get the ball out of his hands in his rookie year, right? Now, he was not playing at the level that he played at last night, back then. But, like, we saw some flashes of just, like, crazy brilliance, right? And then last year, right, um, down the stretch, he finally gets his chance, right? And we just see him run through teams. He was, like, putting up triple doubles. He was, you know, just dominating down the stretch. Like, him and Obi in transition were just an elite pair. Um... He was, I mean, quickly was all over the place, just really dominating. And then people were like, well, 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 you know, end of the year, played some weak teams. They, maybe they, you know, whatever, the Wizards, what, yada, yada, yada. People were having these excuses. But, like, um, he's had these flashes. So, like, this, uh, obviously, he's continued to develop and continued to get better. But I do think a lot of this, maybe not quite the same level we played at, last night but a lot of this has been in there and could have been um especially last year maybe not year one but last second year i think he could have been playing at an extremely high level if he was given more of a leash but this is a guy who was not prioritized like we talked about um definitely not on as an on the ball guy and we have i mean you know some people have pushed back on this when i've said this before but like you know berman and tibbs are clearly pretty close um you know they're friends and I think a lot of times when, like, you know, Berman almost all, often will say things in his reporting, like Tibbs believes this or Tibbs doesn't think of this guy like this or whatever. 
right? He says this stuff all the time. And sometimes, you know, I think Berman probably exaggerated or whatever, but I do think Berman has a connect with Tibbs. Like they yeah. seem to go back, they're friends. You know, Tibbs is ne- doesn't, never seems to get mad at Berman. He's not like, oh, now I'm not talking to Berman anymore, which you would expect if like Berman was like, make this up or whatever, you know? And like Berman will say, like, oh, this is really Tibbs' guy. This is who we're at. But like we've had these reports or these reports from Berman where he's like, you know, well, quickly he's not really a, you know, Tibbs views him as this like combo, maybe off ball guard. He's a good bench guard, but. You know, like he, he would say, especially when it was the Donovan Mitchell trade was going on. That's how you know Berman was talking about him. Uh, from, from so Tim's wait, are, are you telling me that when our buddy Berman retired, that this opened the door for Emmanuel quickly? Was this the link all along? Yeah, Berman, Berman retired. Yeah, <laughs> no, but like I do think I'm sort of building up to like what you were saying, Alex. I think I'm really on your on your on your team here. That <laughs> this this whole like you know. Quickly, clearly, is a guy who, when he plays free, uh, he's like, you know, he needs to play free. He's got this like dramatic, expressive game. Um, he's, and he's got to kind of play free. He just, you have to, and it's really tough to be the best version of yourself when you're tight. And people have talked about this with Obi. When you have 10 minutes and you get one shot or maybe two shots, like in that 10 minute stretch, two, maybe two five minute stretches, it's like, it's really hard to come into the NDA and like, uh, perform at a high level. It, some guys can do it, and it's incredible, but it's really, really difficult. And especially when you have all this noise, people like from your coach, from your front office, talk like there were these trade rumors about quickly, um, even this year, um, about, you know, him possibly being in, you know, trade and like not for like a lot, right? Like people were talking about, well, maybe, uh, heavily protected first round pick would be pretty cool to get you know like there was this stuff was in was in the air um earlier this season about quickly i think it's really hard to play free um in those moments and then you combine that with the fact that he really has not had that many on the ball opportunities like you just compare him you can compare him for example with like rj barrett and the amount of on ball reps they've gotten since they come into the league and the amount of prioritization in the offense even this year um you know rj barrett has like uh, of NBA wings, um, the third most drives in the NBA. And that's including uh, SGA as a wing. So, like, that speaks to RJ's skill as a drive, like, ability to get to the rim. Like, he, he does get to the rim. But it also shows, like, he's got the ball. And he, that's like, you know, he's trusted in a way that maybe he shouldn't be. He's one of the – he is the worst uh, worst efficiency high-volume high driver in the NBA, right? But compared to quickly, you know, quickly just has not had those opportunities until finally we shortened the rotation. And then he had a defined, definitive role. He was coming off the bench. He was the sixth man. He was going to get those minutes. He was going to get rewarded with finishing the game if he was performing at a high level. You know, there were times Tibbs was trusting him over Grimes, trusting him to be the guy down the stretch in the fourth quarter, which we have seen that actually in the past two. Um, at at some times Tibbs has done that, which is, it's interesting, but he had a real defined role, increased minutes. There was a big minutes bump that we saw once Evan Fournier, Derek Rose were out. Um, you know, there were even times earlier this season where Derek Rose was getting prioritized over, um, him as an initiator in those backup, backup units, or even like you'd have IQ and Deuce out there and Tibbs would be having Deuce run the offense. You're like, what are you, what's going on here? Like what? (laughs) Deuce, 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 right. Like, I love Deuce. He seems cool. Like maybe he has a, a shot at being a rotation player down the line. Maybe if he develops a little bit, you know, he's a great, like you love him as a 12th man or 11th man. You throw in and just like creates havoc on defense. But 
you're trusting him with the ball over Manuel quickly. Um, like as a guy, as a as a as a player on that team, that's got to be really tough, you know, to uh, to have that happen over and over, especially when you're like your NBA futures on the line. Like, how much money are you getting on this next contract is on the line. Like, setting up your fit, your life, and your family um, for the rest, really for the rest of your life and your children's lives is on the line in these weird first couple years in the NBA. Um, and we had those rumors of quickly wanting out earlier in his career, possibly, or like being not wanting out, but being unhappy with his role. Right. And I, I mean, I think it's reasonable. So I think like him finally having that established role and that set, you know, that set opportunity, and then you combine it with some of the skill development and you combine it with him getting longer stretches on the ball. Um, and, you know, he's just starting to get that ebb and flow. And now he's at this place where he can be off the ball and be a high-level contributor just as the guy who's in the corner, right, and who's attacking switch defenses or shooting catch-and-shoot shots. Um, and he can be a high-level contributor when Brunson's out and he needs to take the ball and be the primary, right? He's almost like like the, the compare—these are, are too extreme— like he's not there statistically, but like he's starting to look like he's having the third year jump that guys like uh, James Harden and Manu Ginobili had as sixth men, hmm. right? Like he's ha- those, those guys had big jumps in their third year, and quickly he's having a, a big jump, sort of like those guys had, um, and he kind of has that role now where he is, you know, like James would come in, right? Harden would come in as a sixth man, and he would. Um, initiate and then he would, he would leave and then he would finish games as like that super, you know, the super fifth guy. And similarly with Manu, right? Like Manu started to grow into that role where he would come in, you know, he'd be the sixth man, he'd run the, the bench unit, but then he'd finish and playing off, you know, less, less on ball, playing off Parker, playing off Duncan. Um, he, he was, you know, he was starting to get that groove. Um, and that's what we're really seeing quickly be able to do. And there's not that many guys who can do it. Um, yeah, so I really think I think the set role, like you were talking about, Alex, uh, is is a huge huge driver for why he's stepping into it. But I don't want to under undersell his skill from previous years because we, I mean, he was again he's putting up triple doubles at the end of last year, and I think that was real. Like I don't think that was like a fluke or out of the ordinary or like oh he couldn't have done that regularly. Maybe not triple doubles regularly, but I think if he was given the ball in the way like guys like Howie. And Ja were given it when they came into the league, or even RJ, that quick, you would have seen quickly performing in his on ball role at a higher level earlier on, more consistently. Um, and he would have, yeah, I think we would be talking about him. Now we're talking, we, we, we'd have been talking about him the way we're talking about him now a little earlier. All right, guys, we're going to come back one final time with Dallas to talk about how Emmanuel quickly is putting it all together, how his shooting leads to his driving, leads to his passing. And uh, he's, he's becoming a force because he's figured out how to combine all those skills all at once. Um, but first, I'm going to tell you about the greatest force um, in the sportsbook game. That is, of course, FanDuel. It's a little bit past the midway point of the NBA season, and now is the perfect time to download FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. These new customers get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's bonus bets back if your first bet doesn't win. Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Then you can bet on everything from the money line to point scores and threes drained. Uh, Alex, um, I last week on this show, you you told people they should maybe throw some money down on Emmanuel quickly winning six man of the year. And in, in like seven days, he became the overwhelming favorite. So 
Good on you, and a lesson to people going forward. Listen to Alex Wolf when he tells you to bet on something because it generally hey, it, it might turn out pretty well for you. Hey, if you want the long shot of all long shots right now, I think the Knicks are like plus forty nine thousand to win the Atlantic Division, but like a five dollar bet would win you like twenty five hundred bucks. So if you got five dollars laying around and you want to just throw a little something into the into the wind and see what happens, maybe that's another one to give a shot. You can't do this on FanDuel, but we'll have we'll come back with some lottery numbers from you next time. But first, <laughs> FanDuel even lets you combine your bets for a chance at a bigger payout with a same game parlay. So don't miss the chance to get your no sweat first bet up to one thousand dollars in bonus bets when you go to FanDuel.com slash locked on. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on to learn more. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. Yeah, I think. You could, I mean, this is something we, we talked about a lot earlier in the year, but when he was in the game, you could see the gears turning a lot and yes. you could see him thinking and like you, you probably never want to see someone thinking when, yeah. when they're on the court. You, you want to see them manipulating when they're on the court because they've already thought through everything like faster than you can, you can visually recognize it. Um, and I'm, I'm sure all the stuff that you mentioned was in the back of his head. And combined with the fact that his role wasn't super defined because he had this great stretch as an on-ball guy to end the season. And I, I think and, and I think it's something you noted when you were on. I know it's something we talked a lot with um, Arya Chala, like another guy who wrote for the Strickland who had this like big, incredible piece on just like the biomechanics of Emmanuel Quickly. I'm, sure, I'm sure you read it and enjoyed it, Dallas. And, and he kind of made the point, like, just look at like how easy the separation that he was getting like in those late games against the Wizards, against the Raptors. Like it wasn't like to your point, like, it, I mean, if it wasn't, it wasn't Russ in terms of like he like he wasn't dunking on the end of it, but in terms of his ability to like find a gear, and that sort of like got things turning in my mind when I remember when Arya said that, and I was like, all right, like how much how much is there to be found here, like in terms of his like just sheer explosiveness, and then how much can that be leveraged when the shot is falling down, particularly like the self created threes, not at the line, but three or four feet back from the line. And to me, that's, I mean, as much as it's, it's the defense, um, and everything else, like the most stunning part of this to me is just kind of the sheer force that he's playing with where you saw him against the Celtics and, um, where he would just have self-created fast breaks. Like he had, he had the one that he ended up finishing over Horford where it wasn't, I can't remember if it was off a make or a miss, but he, he took the ball in the backcourt and Boston was pretty much back defensively and he just raced right through them. And you saw that happen multiple times in him. I know on um, post game Joe Mazzulla was like, yeah, we shouldn't have given him those. And like, and that's true. Like, like a better defense and like maybe a more focused defense in the playoffs was like stop some of that. But I never really saw that from quickly for a guy who was lethargic to finishing at the rim his rookie year and his ability to do it through contact now. And, and it's kind of like he sort of repurposed the savviness he had as a rookie where we saw as a rookie, like he would kind of do like the pump swipe through like cheap baity fouls that you saw from someone like Harden back in the day. You saw from Trey Young early in his career, and then the NBA kind of outlawed that. And now he's like, all right, like I have another way to get to that now. I'm going to use my speed to just – like he had, the, he had the drive on Muscala where he he played before he hits a step back three. Next play, Muscala steps up, quickly goes right by him, right when Muscala catches up, quickly rises up, and to your point, has the touch to still make the shot. So all this is a long-winded way of saying like how do you see him and, – and you, and you touched on this a little bit earlier, but how do you see him like stacking all these skills on top of each other to form – like it's kind of like one plus one equals four, like like an even greater hole. Yeah, I mean it's crazy. Uh, to your point and to Alex's point from earlier, like earlier in the season, there was a stretch where he just like he wasn't shooting, catching shoot threes that were open. Yeah. Um, but as Josh Hart has been doing that a little bit lately, and sometimes I'm like, oh my god, just shoot the open three, you know? 
uh, when he passes one up and tries to drive or something. But quickly was doing that all the time. You're like, quickly, just right. Like he was, there was, there were ways that he was in his head. Um, and to the transition thing, a sort of funny thing is like people were talking about the way that he had this flip this year where like he wasn't shooting that well from three, but he was finishing at a really like a high level early on um, in the year. And you're like, what's going on? Like quickly, we thought he was the shooter who couldn't finish. And now he's a guy who could finish, but he's struggling to shoot, which again, this is like, these are the signs of a guy who's starting to put things together and has this, right? You know, once they all come together, it's going to be awesome. But um, uh, in a similar sort of way where he had this flip, last year, he was awesome in transition, right? Mm-hmm. He was great, but not as a finisher. His transition skill was like hit aheads, OB lobs. Like he was finding guys, making these crazy passes. Just remember second half of the season, the way he would just like push and transition like a madman and just like, open up the floor and get easy buckets for teammates, but it was rarely him shooting. Or if he did shoot, sometimes it'd be like a three-pointer, right? He wasn't getting to the rim. It's funny, we've had this kind of switch this year where now you don't see him, um, and some of it's because I think Obi isn't playing as much and he's not playing as much as Obi, um, where they have this great chemistry and Obi really was leaking out in transition a lot. He's not leaked out quite as much when he's played this year. Um, sometimes he still does, but so, I think some of that's schematic. It feels like since the injury, that's kind of stopped happening. Yeah, I think there's there's that, but I think there's some schematic things too that's just yeah. you know shifted a little bit. Um, and then so, but what we're seeing is quickly is now really good at transition again, but it's totally different now. He's doing it as a finisher, like he's pushing ahead and he's finishing, um, as opposed to like last year where he's setting guys up. So I think there's going to be a time where we'll start seeing those two things come together um, and click, where he'll be finishing and. Sh- um, uh, and finding guys, and it'll just be a deadly transition attack. But um, to your point, uh, or to your question about like how are these things going to stack, I mean, that's one way in transition. But I think another thing that we're seeing stacking, and I think that's super cool, is like, um, you know, early in the year we were talking about his, you know, his unwillingness to shoot catch and shoot threes. Now he's reading defenses, and there's this like um, Caitlin uh, Cooper for the, you know, well, formerly for Indy Core Runs, I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, no promote. Now it's basketball. She wrote, right? Isn't that she started her own she deal? She wrote, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, incredible basketball writer. She always talks about uh, the switch pocket. So there's this like little place where when when two guys switch, there's a little pocket before they the new guy is on um, on the ball handler, right? And there's a little bit of space there that high level shooters can find and can often pop threes in, right? Uh, and last night quickly did that repeatedly against the switch, right? So the Celtics would come together, the defenders would come together on the screen, and they'd try to switch it, and there's that little gap, and he would hit threes. As a result, it was forcing both defenders to get up way higher than they ordinarily would be to try to take away and limit that switch pocket. And we saw it at the end of the game. It paid off where he was able to leverage that. Um, uh, Williams, Grant Williams would get really high to try to take that away and limit that switch pocket. And the second he did quickly would look up like he was looking at the rim and then he would hit his outside foot with a hard, you know, hard first step and just be be by totally by him in like a split second, right? Because Grant Williams was trying to get up into that switch pocket and take it away. And then he would get, he got that dunk. He got a layup going right. Um, And it was, it was, that was awesome, right? So those are, those are that right there, what we saw last night. That's a st- that's a stacking, right? We saw earlier in the year him finishing well, but we saw him struggling 
um, to even take catch and shoot threes sometimes, like having that confidence, whatever. Now he's reading that switch pocket, hitting threes, drawing the defense up, and then leveraging that to get to the rim and use that finishing that he's developed by, you know, um, and that we were seeing early in the year. And now, I mean, that's, that's the way these things are stacking. Um, I don't know where the ceiling is. I don't know where the ceiling is, honestly. Um, yeah, so that's a couple, that's a couple of, couple of answers for how these things are stacking and how we should continue to see them stacking. I think he's just going to get better at reading defenses. I think one thing that we're going to see more of, here's another, um, that we haven't seen as much this year. And I think, um, I think if we had a different coach than Tibbs, we would see more of it too, um, already. But I think even with Tibbs, we'll see more of it is his passing ability in the half court. So we've seen him finishing a lot. We've seen him, um, uh, you know, hitting those switch pockets or hitting when guys try to trail, even when they trail him and drop, if the big isn't high enough, we've seen him hit threes. Um, but I think a real thing as he starts driving, especially in against drop coverage, and he starts getting to the rim that we'll see more of is him reading the floor and making, making better passes, hitting the corner, um, when the bump man comes down, that sort of stuff, which we saw him doing at the end of last year when he was getting those triple doubles, he was doing that fairly frequently. And I think some of it is just he's not been on ball that much this year. And even when he has been on ball this year, um, you know, like even in his starts, like uh, against the Mavs, um, Julius Randle did a lot of the work. And also you'll see quickly, like he'll try to like penetrate a little bit. And if something isn't immediately there, he'll defer to Julius um kick it out which i think actually is awesome right they they're you know if you don't have a great shot kick it out let some other guy work um it's a good instinct but i think we're going to be able to see him start setting up guys more as he gets more used to being on the ball um uh and we'll see we'll see that read better but a big thing one of the reasons i said tibbs being coach makes a difference here is like we know tibbs has a track record of preferring guys score first and only if the shot isn't there then to you know, he'll, he's, he always says, spray the ball, <laughs> spray the ball. Um, but we saw it with Alfred Payton, right? Like Alfred Payton came here as like a triple double guy who occasionally would like shoot, but like, you know, he was like pass first point guard. And then like his last year under Tibbs, he turned into like never pass only shoot like point guard. Right. Um, I think it's been bad for RJ Barrett too, in a way where like, uh, his worst tendencies are that he goes into shoot only mode and like doesn't read the floor when he is actually a really good passer and when he is trying to set up guys which we saw him do some last night and since all-star break i think he's been better he does really really good job but i think there's this just this focus by tibbs at getting shots at the rim and believing in your offensive rebounding right um and believing in the scheme that has things relatively stationary guys know where they are um and crashing the glass that offensive glass and getting good shots off offensive rebounds and getting lots of shots up as a result. Um, and that sort of, you know, Tibbs scheme. And I think it's, you know, we're seeing it work. So no, no, no shade there. But I do think it's the reason that we've seen maybe a little bit less of quickly spraying the ball, a little less of RJ spraying the ball, a little less of other guys spraying the ball. So I think that's another thing we'll see stack eventually. Um, I don't, I never have seen quickly as like, you know, a super, super high level passer, but I think he's a lot better half court passer than we've seen yet. Um, consistently, because mm -hmm. we've seen some of these flashes that really sort of got me excited. Um, at various times, especially those last couple of games at the end of last year. So I think that's a thing we'll see 
eventually him grow into, but maybe it'll take some more time, you know? It, it Again, being a ball handler is so complicated. Adding each thing is like a level of, you know, now you're not just reading the guys in front of you, the two or three or whatever who are sending help. Now you're reading, you know, where all of your guys are and you're also reading the help and you're reading all, you know, like it's, it's, it's tough. But we see him do it. This is another reason to believe in it. We see him do it on the defensive side of the ball. He knows every set. He knows where everybody is. He knows what they're doing at all times. And he makes these insane, you know, help, help, uh, uh, rotations to like shut things down before they happen. So like he has this kind of mind. So I know once he starts getting more, when he's getting more on ball reps and once he starts getting a little more comfortable, um, he'll get that in the same way he needed to get that, you know, shoot layup frequency kind of thing down. He'll start getting that shoot pass frequency down. Um, he'll get that flow and he'll, he'll know where guys are. He'll read the defense. He won't have any problem. And I think we'll start seeing him, uh, really leverage that. All right, guys, I, I warned you going in. Unfortunately, uh, we're going to cut things a little short here with Dallas for now, but a little bit later today, that's right, you don't even have to wait until later in the week, we will come back and we will continue this conversation about Emmanuel quickly. And I, I think, Alex, to me, this is this is kind of the crux of the whole episode. Can him and Jalen Brunson fit together long-term? Is IQ, if, if he really is the guy who drops 38 points on the defending Eastern Conference champions consistently, um, is he going to be okay being the sixth man forever? Or will he want to pull a Jalen Brunson, leave a couple of established stars, and find his own team? Uh, we'll talk about all that. I promise it's, it, there's a happy answer in there. Uh, with Dallas, next time on Locked on Knicks.